0: We're starting a brand new series today called Parables. Um, For those of you who know any of the parables of Jesus, there's one parable called the lost sheep. We will not be discussing the lost sheep because after the 23 series, I'm all sheeped out. And so that will be one of them we're not going to discuss. But we're starting a brand new series today. It's a six-week series. And we're going to be talking about the parables of Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, I used to love to hear the words, once upon a time. Uh, I would love to hear stories and read stories and uh, uh, see some of the TV shows and they would always start them with once upon a time, then they would go into a story and you would be engrossed in this story. And I remember some of those stories as a kid that I got told time and time again, either from my parents or I learned them at school or I saw them in books. Uh, they were the stories of things like the tortoise and the hare or Peter and the wolf. Uh, stories like Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, other stories like the gingerbread man Um, Other stories like the three little pigs. And I used to love hearing those stories. But it was amazing. At the end of all those stories, whoever told the story often said the same thing at the end. And this is what they would say. And the moral of the story is. And they would give a quick explanation of what that story meant. And, and so we're, we're, as, young, as young kids we grow up and we hear these stories and we start to understand that in a story there is often a meaning behind a story. See stories have been used for centuries to explain a meaning uh, or to help people find wisdom. Stories are good for this because we can see the whole picture. We can see the end from the beginning. We can see the mistakes and the outcomes. We can find ourselves in the middle of a story. We can see ourselves in that that place in those stories. We can relate to stories. And Jesus was somebody who taught in stories. And, and the Bible tells us uh, that Jesus, as Jesus started to teach the people, uh, as he walked this earth and he started to teach the truths about God, in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 28 to 29, uh, it tells us this. It says, The people were amazed for, at his teaching, for he talked with authority unlike the scribes. And so as as he was teaching, people were listening to the words that Jesus was saying and they were amazed at his teaching. They were engrossed in his teaching. They couldn't keep their eyes off Jesus. Now, the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees were the teachers of the day. They were the lecturers, they were the preachers, they were the teachers, they were the ones that, who would communicate, they were the motivational speakers of the day. And so they would start to teach people and, and, and they would gain an audience from their teaching. And that the reason that they would start to teach is because they would start to explain what the law of Moses was, often known as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then they would also teach on the prophets as well. And so these rabbis, scribes, and Pharisees, they would give their explanation of what God was saying through these holy scriptures to the Jewish people. And often when they were given their interpretation or their explanation of the scriptures, people would refer to it as their yoke. So their yoke of scripture, the the way that they interpreted scripture. And so what, what would happen oftentimes as these rabbis would give their particular interpretation of the scripture, the problem for so many was they made the interpretation of the scriptures so complicated that people were left more confused than enlightened after hearing the rabbis. On top of that, these rabbi, scribes, and Pharisees, their their commands for what they believed that God needed people to do was so hard and so heavy on people. It was like a burden on people that most people after listening to the the rabbi, scribes, and Pharisees would come away and thinking that they had failed God because what they needed to do was way too hard. And so... Jesus comes along and starts to teach, and people are amazed. They're amazed that Jesus is teaching, and I think they're amazed for two reasons. The first one is because Jesus' interpretation of Scripture, or Jesus' yoke, what they call it, was easy to understand. People could actually understand what Jesus was saying when Jesus was saying it. That's helpful, right? When you're listening to someone, you can actually understand what they're saying. I remember about 20 years ago, I was at a cathedral in Sheffield, England. And one of my father's friends was getting ordained into the Church of England. And so we went to the ordination service. And there was this bishop who got up in his robes. And he started talking. And I had no idea what he was saying. You know, I mean, he was speaking English. But I had no idea what he's saying. And I turned to my dad, and like I remember about five or six words he said, and I said to my dad, I'm like, what does that mean? And my dad turned to me, my dad's pretty educated, and my dad was like, I have no idea what that means. The guy was talking in a way like to, to impress people, but no one could understand what he was saying. And that's not helpful. So when Jesus came, Jesus talked in a way that people could understand. On top of that, the requirements that Jesus had for people was a whole lot less than what the rabbis, the scribes, and the Pharisees. In fact, living a life for God under Jesus was a lot easier than under the rabbis, the scribes, and the Pharisees. So this is why in Matthew chapter 11, and verse 30, Jesus says this. He said these words, For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. My interpretation is easy to bear. You can understand it, and my burden, the commands I give you are light. And part of Jesus' style of teaching was to use stories that people could relate to and understand. And so there's something in the Bible called parables. A parable is basically an earthly story with a spiritual truth. And the word parable actually comes from a Greek word which means to come together or to Pull together. And so, what Jesus would do, he would give stories to help pull the people and the truths of God together. So, instead of them being like, What does that even mean? that they can come together and understand what God is saying. And so, Jesus would use examples of something everyone was familiar with. And he would use it as an illustration. So, Jesus used a lot of agricultural illustrations because most of the people were worked in agricultural settings. Jesus would use uh, racial relations and, and, and different relationships between people groups because that was very dear to them at the time. It was a very sensitive topic at the time. Jesus would use weddings. Who didn't like a good wedding, right? He would use that as illustrations so that people could understand the truth. So if Jesus was here today, he probably wouldn't be using agriculture. He, he, he probably may not be using weddings as much. This is what I'm thinking Jesus may use. He may use politics. Ooh. He may use movies. I think this week he'd be used Pokemon Go. That's what I'm thinking. So I just on a side note, I found out last night that our church, Generation Church, is a Pokemon Go gym. And so this morning, if you see any Pokemon going around and stuff, just ignore them. They're just working out. So it's, it's all good. But that's the kind of illustrations that Jesus would be using if he was today. And so Jesus talked on different topics. Now, if I was to say to you today, if I was to use the word, the kingdom of heaven, what would you think? The kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven a lot. Matthew, the book of Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. The book of Luke calls it the kingdom of God. But Jesus talked about this a lot. The kingdom of heaven, what would go through your mind? This is probably what goes through most of our mind. This is the place that we go when we die. The place we go when we die. And and the reason for this is because there is a physical place called heaven that all of us, if we are believers of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. So most of us think the kingdom of heaven is the place we go when we die. And the problem for this, though, is that many people, they come to faith in God because this is the place that they want to go when they die. That when they die, when this earthly uh, life passes before them, when their body decays and dies, they want to then their soul to go from this life into heaven. And so most people... Or a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ because they want to go to the kingdom of heaven when they die. Now, one of the stories I loved as a kid, I wasn't much of a reader as a kid. I preferred to play sports, play video games or watch like, TV shows, but I didn't like to read much as a child. But one of the books I did read and I read it a couple of times and I loved it. It was Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. One of the reasons probably why I liked it so much is because I'm going to let you in on a big secret this morning. For those of you who don't know me very well, that my first name is not Alex. It's actually Charles. I have some identity issues, okay? And so, uh, you know, and nothing wrong with the name Charles. You know, I like the name Charles, but I never see myself as a Charles or Charlie. People say, well, do you want to call yourself Chaz or, or whatever? I, I don't see it. I'm Alex. Except so for when I went to university, I spent three years at university. No one knew me by Alex. I went by this alter ego called Charles. It's kind of a true story. But, but so I love this book because I could relate to it. I could see myself as the main character, Charlie Bucket. And for those of you who don't know, the story. is very quick what happens. There's a, cho- there's a chocolate factory called uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Most amazing chocolate in the world. I think I like chocolate as well so that's why I relate to the story and uh, no one's been able to be in the chocolate factory, then Willy Wonka comes out with this idea uh, that he's going to invite five people to come into his chocolate factory. So uh, there's a thing called a golden ticket that they wrap in these Wonka bars that they sell all throughout the world. Everybody's buying all these Wonka bars, hoping to get a golden ticket. Um, And uh, then uh, after the competition is over, there's five people with golden tickets, and they are allowed to Enter the kingdom of Willy Wonka. And so what we see in this story is that you cannot go into the chocolate factory without a golden ticket. You can love chocolate all you want, eat as much of it, but if you did not have a golden ticket, you could not enter into the chocolate factory. So on the day that Willy Wonka opened his doors, the five people, and they were were allowed to bring one other person with them, were able to enter into the chocolate factory. Why? Because they had a golden ticket. And so often we think that salvation in Jesus Christ is about a golden ticket. We think it's about entering to heaven. We think it's all about, I've got the ticket, now I can get into heaven. And we have this kind of John 3.16 view of the world, which is an incredible truth. And John 3.16 tells us this, For God's so of the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so a lot of people base their faith on just believing in God. Now I've got my golden tickets. And they're all happy with their golden tickets. However, if you remember the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Augustus Gloop had a golden ticket. Veruca Salt had a golden ticket. Violet Birigardi had a golden ticket. Mike TV, who watched TV all day, had a golden ticket. And Charlie Bucket got a golden ticket. All five of them got a golden ticket, but only one of them got keys to the kingdom. Only one of them was able to make the chocolate factory his home. Four of them kind of got lost along the wayside. Four of them didn't experience the fullness of the chocolate factory. One of them, like, immediately was just done. And it went on and on. But Charlie Bucket was the only one who experienced the fullness of the chocolate factory. And as Jesus was teaching, there was one question on everybody's lips. Jesus, how do I get the golden ticket? Throughout the Bible, you see throughout the gospel accounts, people time and time again came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do to have everlasting life? All that people were thinking about was the golden ticket. But what is wonderful about Jesus is, yes, John 3.16 is right. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you shall receive everlasting life and get a golden ticket. But the beauty about Jesus is this. Is that Jesus doesn't just give you a golden ticket, Jesus gives you the keys to the kingdom. And this brings us to Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 13. If I was asked to ask you today, what is heaven like? Many of you, like if we asked the kids, they would have these wacky ideas, which would be great. Ours would probably be a little dollar. But this is what I'm thinking, what we would probably say it would be streets of gold, right? Some of you would be saying a white sandy beach. Some of you, you may be saying an immaculate golf course. That's what I'm believing. Some of you would say perfect weather. Others would say a day without kids. Some of you would say peace and harmony at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Others may say just my family all together in one place at one time. See, we have all these different views of heaven. Maybe no more money issues, no more kids issues, no no more work issues. A Sunday morning lie-in or a quiet Sunday afternoon. That's what often we think of heaven as we think of heaven. But Jesus had a very different view of heaven than often what we think about heaven. And Jesus addressed this issue in Matthew 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives six parables, six stories of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, and, 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 and he does it so that we understand that heaven isn't just about a golden ticket. Heaven is actually a place that we can live and dwell right here, right now, even while we are here on earth. We're not going to go through all, the, uh, all, all the, the, the parables today, but this is basically what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 13, Jesus says, And his disciples came and asked, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Jesus replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And then jumping down to verse 16, Jesus said this. But to those who are listening to to him, but blessed are your eyes... Because they see. And your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they don't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. So Jesus is saying this. He says, through these parables, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make the truths of God simple so you can understand. And there are thousands of people who have gone generations past who would love to understand what you are about to understand. And so Jesus uses six parables, the parable of the sower. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, the parable of the hidden treasure, and the parable of the fishing net. For time this morning, we're not going to look at all six of them. We're going to look at the first one the parable of the sower, or what some people call the parable of the farmer and the seed. So in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus said this It says, Jesus told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. So Jesus is, is addressing the people who have come to him. And he is about to tell a truth about the kingdom of God. And Jesus uses something that everybody is so familiar with. Because in that day, everybody was a farmer or a part-time farmer. They didn't have Walmart or Rite Aid or Giant or whatever. Wheeze, wise, wise, wheeze, that doesn't sound great. Or Wegmans, they didn't have any of these places. If, it, if you didn't grow it in your backyard, you probably didn't eat it. So everybody was a farmer of some sort. So everybody understood seed. And often what Jesus would do, we see through Jesus' accounts, as Jesus is teaching, he would see his environment around him, and he would often see like somebody doing something, and he would use them as an example. So I can imagine as Jesus starts teaching these people, he sees in the background there's a farmer who's got some seed, and he's spreading the seed over his land. And Jesus basically saying, hey, check this guy out. There's a guy like that who went out to sow some seed. Let's carry on. So in verse 4, it says, As the farmer scattered the seed across the fields, some seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. These seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as being planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So as Jesus gave this parable and he starts talking about these seeds, I can imagine the people are nodding their head in agreement. Because they can imagine the harvest from the last year or the seeds that they sowed the last year. The seeds that fell on the path and the birds came and ate them. Don't you hate the birds when they just come? Like you've put fertilizer on your your yard and they come and like eat it and stuff. You're like, ah, you know? That they can imagine doing that. That They can imagine the seed that they threw in ground that they thought was good ground, but it had really shallow soil, and it spr- sprang up real quick, but then the heat of the sun just cooked them, and then they died as quick as they can be. That's me with plants. They die as quick as they sprout up. You can imagine the people uh, uh, just uh, um, identifying with Jesus as he talks about the weed problem. And that as the the seed started growing up, the weeds grew up with it as well. That is my yard right now. A big weed problem. And you can imagine the people agreeing with Jesus as they remember the harvest. The seeds that fell on the good soil that produced the fruit and they're eating of that fruit. And it's helping to sustain them throughout their life. And Jesus, throughout this parable, he tells us two things. He tells us that the seed that the farmer starts to to spread in the sow is the living word of God. Not just pages in a book, but the words of God that give life and life to the full. That they are the the Holy Spirit that comes and makes his place within your hearts. For the seed is the truth of heaven and the ground, the soil, Are the hearts and lives of each and every one of us. So Jesus is using this example. He's saying that there is is this seed from heaven. That is the truths of God and the God's word. And it is trying to make root within our hearts. And within our souls. And then Jesus gives an illustration. And uh, and, and, and an interpretation. See, this is the amazing thing about Jesus, is Jesus didn't just give the what, he also gave the why. And if Jesus had not given an interpretation, I'm sure throughout the centuries there would be many people who said, well, Jesus meant this. Well, no, no, Jesus meant this. No, this is the soil, this is the seed. No, Jesus gave a good explanation of what this is all about. And I used to think as I was younger, I used to think that this was all about the golden ticket. I used to think this was all about people who would be in heaven and people who would not be in heaven. That the ones whose who, who seed grew, they would be the ones in heaven. The ones that seed died, they would not be in heaven. And I used to think that, but I've come to the conclusion it is not that. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that it is actually about people living in the kingdom of heaven now and experiencing the fullness of God now. And so Jesus tells us the moral of the story. And this is what Jesus says. In Matthew 13, starting at verse 18. He said, now listen to to the explanation of the parable about the farmers planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell amongst the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even 100 times as much as been planted. I'm going to very quickly explain what Jesus is talking about here. The first thing, the first seed falls on the path. And he tells us this, that the path represents those who reject the message and the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. They're the ones who hear it, but they reject it. And no matter how much somebody tries to, to convince them that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is all that we need in this life, they reject it every time. They don't believe it. They're the ones that, that it, it kind of hits their life and it just bounces off. Has no change on them at all. And then the evils of this world just come and, 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 and take them in a different direction. And I'm sure many of us, we know people like this. Maybe you've got friends or family or you've got co-workers or neighbors who are just like this. Maybe you've tried to tell them about God, but it just bounces off them every single time. And you're just like, are they ever going to get it? Their heart is so hard that the word of God cannot bury within their heart at all. And if you've got people like that in your life right now, don't be, um, don't get uh, uh, discouraged if you're telling them about God and it's just bouncing off them. Because it's not about you. It's about their heart. Their heart is so hard. And often what I found with people like this, there is a way that they can come to God, but it's not an easy way to come to God. If you get a, say we get the the blacktop outside and in the parking lot and we put seed down, we know that seed is not going to grow. But if we dig that parking lot up, right, and we start to dig it up, then we create ground that a seed can be planted in. And often people like this who immediately reject the message of God, often it takes disasters in their life. For them to start to understand the truth of God. And that's really hard to see. But the reason for that is because their lives need to be dug up. So that they start to become soft to the word of God. The people along the path. The second illustration that Jesus gave in the interpretation. He talks about the people in the, 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 the stony soil or the rocky soil. The rocky soil represents those who open their hearts up to God, but they don't want to change. They want the golden ticket of life. They hear Jesus. They hear what all that Jesus can do for you, and they're like, I want it. They're the ones, like every single church service, they're like, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me, it's me. But yet, they don't want the change that comes with following Jesus. See, Jesus told us, you must be born again. You must change your life. And so what often happens with people like this, they get so excited about the golden ticket. I got the golden ticket. I'm going to the chocolate factory. But yet, when the problems start to happen in life, when maybe they start to have to give up some things or they have to start looking at life a different way, Maybe they have to realize life is no longer about them, but it's about Christ who lives within them. And they can't take it. They don't want to change at all. See, the kingdom of God is not just about the golden tickets that you get when you go to heaven when you die. It's about letting Christ, the savior of the nations, transform your heart and your mind so that you become more like Christ. And maybe today you're in this place and that's you. Maybe you want the golden ticket. Maybe the thought of hell scares the hell out of you, right? Maybe the the whole thought of, of coming to church is all about going to heaven. Maybe that's you today, but you don't want to change. You don't want to let God transform your heart. You don't want to give up your old life. You don't want to take on the life that Jesus commands us to take on. You don't really want to be born again. You want one foot in your old life and one foot in heaven. But you don't want to give up. And if that's you, this is what's happening. There's rocky soil there. And there's only so far that the word of God and the kingdom of God can go. And if you want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God in this life, then you need to start to experience or let Christ change you. And so that rocky soil becomes soft soil that the roots of Christ can grow even deeper. Number three, the thorny soil. The thorny soil. The thorny soil represents those who get caught up with the things of this life. And this happens to us all from time to time. You know, we're going our way. We're excited about God. We're excited about our faith and all the things that God is doing. We're trying to live good lives that honor God. But often things grow up in our lives and start to overshadow us. I've been there. Maybe it's a health issue or a financial issue. Maybe it's a kid issue or a marriage issue. Maybe it's just a recreational issue. Maybe it's a school issue or a job issue. And they start to crowd up around you. And the worries of this life and the law of wealth, they distract you from the purposes of God in our lives. And Jesus said that. These are the people, that these weeds that grow up around, they are the distractions of life, the law of wealth. And for so many people, this happens, and, and, and when that happens, we stop producing fruit in our lives. And there, there are so many people today who will go to church in the United States, who this is just them. That they will go, and they love God, and they look like good Christians, they act like good Christians, that they may be served, they go to church, they do the right things, they live good lives, they have good marriages. But they never really experience the power of the kingdom of God in their lives. They've got their golden ticket, but they never experience the kingdom of heaven here on earth right now. See, they're so focused on the temporary things of this life, they forget there's a permanent home that we're going to. It's like if you were to build a new home, a brand new home, right? And you're to go out and to, you know buy some acreage, and you're like, we're going to build a home, and, but for like nine months to a year, while the home's being built, we're going to go and live in a little nine hundred square square foot apartment, right? And then going on in life, as you're living in that apartment, suddenly life becomes about that apartment, and you forget about the house that's being built. And you start seeing the rest of your life is just in this apartment. Oh, man, I'm never going to get out of this apartment. But you know there's a house that's being built that's big and it's got acreage, acreage. And the dogs can run and the kids can be gone all day and you don't have to worry about them. But no, we're so worried about our little apartment. And that is this life. See, we have a permanent home we're going to. So when the temporary things of this life start to overcrowd and overshadow us, why are we worrying? Because it's all about the next life. It's all about producing fruit for the next life, not this life. Is this you? What kind of fruit are you producing in your life right now? Or the weeds getting over you? The last soil that Jesus talks about is the good soil. The good soil. The good soil represents those who allow Christ to change them. They allow him to become their focus, their life goal, and their desire. Jesus said, these are the people who produce fruit in this life. They help others see the kingdom of God, see the truths of the kingdom of God. They help people understand that life is not just about the here and now, but it's all about what Christ can do within us and what Christ has for us tomorrow. They find love in this life. They are full of fruit. They produce love and joy and patience and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. Their life is full of fruit and goodness. These are the people that truly understand that the golden ticket isn't for tomorrow. It's for admission into the kingdom of heaven today. And you can experience the kingdom of heaven today. We don't have to wait till we die. We don't have to wait until we're six feet under or we're cremated, whatever you want to do. We can experience the kingdom of God here today, but it all starts with letting our hearts become good soil. When you look at the other five parables that Jesus gave in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of heaven, you start to understand that there is a harsh ending to those who do not allow Christ to change them. Matthew 13 tells us about the wheats and the weeds. Also the parable of the fishing net. And they are stark reminders of why we need to be born again in the Spirit of God. Because at the end of this life, this is what it says. This is what Jesus said. He said that at the end of this life, he will separate the weed, the, the wheats from the tear. He will separate the good fish from the bad fish. And the bad fish will be thrown back into the sea and the good fish will come home with him. And if you don't know the spirit of God. If you don't, uh, if you don't experience the spirit of God. Uh, birthing a new thing in your life. If you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then at the end of this life. Then there will be no golden ticket for you. It's a stark reminder that we need to be born again of the spirit of God. The parable of the hidden treasure. Reminds us that when we experience Christ, we find value in Christ. And when we find value in Christ, then nothing else in life matters. That all we want to do is is go search for the treasure. That when the thorns of this life come over us, we're, we're, we're not concerned because we know that's just temporary stuff. The real treasure is in Christ. The parables of the yeast and the mustard seed tell us that in order for our lives to be good soil, it doesn't take incredible faith. It doesn't take us being like the best people we could ever be. All it takes is a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of faith that we allow Christ to bury in our souls. See, Peter understood this. And Peter started to understand the kingdom of heaven. He started to understand it wasn't for when he was to die, it was for today. And Jesus said this to Peter in Matthew 16. He said, in verse 16, sorry, in verse 17, Jesus said, Peter You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now he said this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Then this is the truth. Verse 19. And I will give you. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. For whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And what you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. See, Jesus is telling us this. Today, you can experience the keys. Like a 16-year-old kid getting his dad's car's keys. Yeah, you may make some mistakes along the way. But you've got the keys. It's not all about just a golden ticket when we die and we get to the pearly gates and there is Peter, St. Peter, and we're like, here's my ticket. Do I get in? And he's like, no, you're too short. Sorry. No. It's not about that. It's about today you can experience the kingdom of heaven because Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the keys. But it all starts with you allowing Jesus to take that seed and bury it into your hearts. So what sort of soil are you today? Are you like the path? It's like nothing you could do in your life can, 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 can turn you towards God. You are like anti-Jesus. Maybe you are the rocky soil. And you really don't want to change. But let me tell you, if you don't change, God can never do his transformational work in your life that he requires to do. You will never experience the fullness of life if you don't allow Christ to change you. Are you the thorny soil? Maybe you've let some things in life get ahead of you, get on top of you. Maybe your focus is no longer on Christ, it's on other things. Or maybe you're good soil today. On your chairs today as you came in, there are some of these little packets. If you didn't get one, then reach to the row behind you or in front of you, and I'm sure there should be one on there. I want you to take these, and in a moment, we're going to stand. These are actually mustard seeds. There's a lot of them. Maybe we should do a competition. Who grows these in your garden, gets the best mustard, then they're the winner. I thought about throwing it in my yard, seeing if it really is true. But these are like the smallest seeds of all. And Jesus said that, that all you need is a faith as one of these mustard seeds. That's all you need but the soil needs to be good. So there's two reasons I've given you this today. I want you to take this with you and let this be a reminder to you of what soil am I? What am I allowing Christ to do in me? But today we're gonna pray. We're gonna do something a little hard and as we pray, we're gonna stand in a moment and as we stand, what we're gonna do, we're gonna take these seeds and we're gonna place them in our heart. And our prayer today is gonna be this. Christ, as you plant your seed in me, let my heart become good soil. Soften my heart so that what you plant will take root, what takes root will grow, and what grows will produce fruit. And let me tell you, when Christ starts to produce fruit in your life, your marriage becomes so much more fruitful. Raising your kids becomes so much more fruitful. Your dead end job takes on a whole new meaning and it becomes fruitful. Your career, that may be taking your life away because it's just so stressful, becomes fruitful. The conversations you have with your friends and your neighbors, they become fruitful conversations. You start to find your life where you are walking in love and and you've got this joy and this peace. You start finding that self-control is a lot easier for you, that, that goodness is something that you desire. You become faithful more to the Lord. You become meek and gentle. Why? Because Christ's, Seed has buried into your soul and it's good soil. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And as you stand, I want you to take these seeds and we're going to pray. And let's place them on our hearts. And let's pray today that we will be individuals, families, and a church that is a place of good soil. Where Christ can allow his truths to grow. And we will experience the kingdom of heaven right here while we're still on earth.